Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Developing Communities, the DevRel podcast. Uh, we're here with a very exciting guest, Christopher Manu. Now, Christopher is one of, is a developer advocate uh, with Microsoft, but is uh, a, a man that wears many hats and has had a very interesting uh, journey to where, he, to where we are today, which we will get into. But first, uh, I'm here uh, hosting the podcast, back with my partner in crime, uh, Alex from PonyCode. So I am Mackenzie. I'm a developer advocate at GitGuardian uh, Security Company. Alex. Do you want to give a five-minute pitch of yourself? Yes, I'm Alexander. And uh, yeah, I'm very happy to see you again, Mackenzie. I've been missing our, our little uh, dirty secret called the DevRel podcast. Uh, and I work for PonyCode, and we're doing code quality. Uh, so we're uh, we are be best partner in crime with uh, Mackenzie and GitGuardian at the end of the day. Uh, but this is no space for code quality or code security. This is a space for dev relationship, developer advocacy. Uh, and that's why every week we've had the chance to have an amazing guest. And this week, Christopher is playing the game, is taking the chair. Uh, and we have a, a few questions for you. Uh, there is a few learnings. Uh, it's it's uh, well back into, into school. And uh, I want to learn a little bit about uh, your experience and, uh, and your background. So Christopher, why don't you give us the uh, the five minute intro of who you are and uh, a little bit about how you got into this crazy world of DevRel? Yeah, sure. Hi, Mackenzie. Hi, Alex, and hi, everybody. Um, so I'm Christopher. I'm French. Um, I grew up in the south of France, then moved to uh, Paris for work uh, a few years ago, and now back uh, outside of Paris. Um, I'm a developer slash engineering lead slash scuba diving instructor. Um, I um, talk a lot about scuba diving, uh, even at work. Um, there is some videos of me uh, doing scuba diving things uh, with Microsoft um, and also uh, use it. One of my um, uh, talks uh, is how I learned to create resilient application while uh, learning things um, at scuba diving. Um, so I'm doing uh, both things. Um, I've started um, doing computer science things a while back, like when I was like six years old. Um, my father brought me a Thomson MO6, um, if you know it. So it's uh, it was just a keyboard um, and you have to plug in it uh, to a TV. And back then you can buy paper magazines with code listings uh, because there is no way to connected to internet. Uh, so I had to type like uh, six, seven page of code um, on the computer to get a game. Um, and if you made a mistake while uh, actually copy pasting by hand, um, you had to debug it. Um, so I started doing this. Um, and then a few years ago, when I was like 15 years old, I sold my first um, software I built. Um, it was like something very ridiculous, uh, uh, printing um, labels, um, but in a very specific format for a company. And um, uh, it was my first thing. And I said, oh, but I'm passionate about uh, computer science, but I can get paid for it. That's great. Um, and when I've done some studios um, and um, ended up doing um, being a, a developer, a UX designer as well, um, uh, first in uh, small uh, small companies, uh, small consulting companies, um, and then I joined uh, Deezer, uh, which is a worldwide music streaming service, 
Um, and I got a ton of experience in mobile development, um, in scaling teams. Um, I, when I joined Deezer, we were about 25, 30 developers, um, and less than a hundred, like 80 people total. Uh, in all services. And when I left Deezer four and a half years ago, we crossed 500 employees and 140 uh, for the tech team. Uh, so it's a pretty big growth uh, in, a, in a short sp uh, span of time. Um, and with a service, which is growing as, as well. Um, so I had a ton of fun and a ton of learning um, going through that journey. Um, and then I joined Microsoft it was not a dream. Uh, even if you look at my resume and my experience, um, I've done a lot of things with Microsoft for years, but it was not um, my dream. It was just a good opportunity. Um, and we can uh, talk about it later in more details, but uh, between sending my resume and uh, getting the job offer, um, it was five working days uh, for Microsoft. <laughs> It's it's a bit unusual. Uh, if you apply to Microsoft, you may not get uh, that delay. Um, but sometimes, uh, even uh, large companies like this can can go fast. Um, and I already um, originally joined a service uh, which is um, a Premier Field Engineers. Um, so it's like um, engineers dedicated to go to customers and to solve customer issues um, on a short um, time span. Uh, my um, average duration uh, per customer was three day, uh, two to three days per year. Uh, so when you come up, when you show up to this company, they usually have a like a list of questions they were unable to answer for the last uh, six months, uh, even with Stack Overflow, etc. And they expect answer for you because you're Microsoft. <laughs> Like uh, a, a human, a human version of Stack Overflow that comes into the office and helps. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's Egg. that's that's advocacy in itself, I think. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of like a lot of my work was to uh, simply go to the documentation on the right places uh, because sometimes it was not uh, useful and 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 like collecting different documentation uh, uh, parts and assembling them in, into a cohesive answer. Um, part of the job was. Um, as actually that helping people navigate through through the documentation, the code samples, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Uh, and it was really rewarding because I went to I moved from a mobile development background to an Azure cloud backend um, uh, background, who was something I wanted to um, to develop. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. I think that that's uh, it's it's super interesting that that journey you see through the startups and to end up at Microsoft because it's particularly you know when you're a, a young nimble startup that's coming through those big companies can almost be seen as like the uh, the enemy sometimes so mm. I'm, I'm curious to uh, to to learn more more about that but you know I I, I I were talking just a little bit before and you and there's one area of something that you did that just uh, sparked my curiosity so much and that was that you you're one of the first you're one of the first people to be able to uh, coordinate with the Apple engineers in building your your, your first uh, uh, application. I mean, how does something like that even come about to become one of the first people to build uh, a, an Apple application with this uh, with this startup for mobile devices? Yeah, it, it, it's in a sense it's a funny story and also um, 
like a lot of planets align uh, for Arium um, at this moment. It was not like something I envision. Um, so this story is basically, uh, it was during my third year um, at school. Um, I have to um, go to a six months internship to um, grade uh, for, uh, for this year. Um, and I didn't found around me uh, interesting um, project or interesting company to join. So I look at other company and what I wanted to do um, and mobile development. And it was in 2007, 2008. Um, so back then, mobile development was not really a thing. Um, I had experience uh, doing uh, Java Mobile, G2ME, Symbian, uh, Windows CE, uh, Windows Mobile development a bit. But it was another universe compared to uh, doing Swift or um, or Kotlin on Android and iOS. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, very, uh, very different mobile development. Uh, it was more like an embedded development than a, than a mobile development. And I saw the iPhone and I said, yeah, I think it's interesting to, to start doing something with the iPhone. Um, and I also... Uh, I was also looking for um, a company with an interesting project. And um, I met the CEO and founder of uh, Melty.fr, uh, which is a, a web magazine uh, for young people. I think it's their, ta their target audience is like uh, 15 to 25 years old. Um, and back then, like if you know Melty.fr right now is not the same um, website than back then. Um, back then, it was almost a social platform. You can have chat between people. You can follow people. Uh, you can see um, your friend liking or not articles. So it was a media, but it also was a bit of a social uh, website as well. Um, and I... I call the, um, the founder, I say, hey, um, I have to do an internship. Um, your uh, startups look great. I love the project. Um, and I think mobile development could be a thing. Um, and compared to your audience, your product, I think there is a good match uh, between what you're doing on the web and what we can achieve um, on, a, on a mobile space. Um, if you want, I can uh, join your company as an intern and, and trying to do something um, like um, I don't know what we'll be able to uh, to build in um, in the internship um, uh, time frame, but let's let's try something. Um, and they agreed um, to to let me do my thing. Um, and when I started the internship, um, the um, app store was not open to um, other developers. At the origin of the App Store, at the iPhone, uh, you cannot release um, an application. You didn't have an SDK and uh, you didn't have a way to submit applications, uh, which is weird um, if you look at today's, because back then they were pushing web applications for mobile. And now it's like progressive web apps on iOS is not really well supported compared to, um, to native app or compared to the other mobile platform. Um, so I started to do uh, user research um, on on what could be the multi experience uh, on a, on a mobile phone, and at some point, um, Apple announced uh, they will uh, open the App Store and release an SDK. Um, and 
as usual with um, American companies, they started to do things for the US market and then the French market was open a bit later. Um, and I was able to have something ready uh, for the, um, uh, the French launch. Um, and I also applied to um, the Apple students something. I don't remember the name of the program, but basically uh, if you're selected, uh, you you got a free ticket to the Worldwide Developer Conference in San Francisco. Um, and um, and you get a one-one with Apple engineers uh, to talk about your project, um, which I have happily applied. Um, and 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 it's not an award, but I like won the ticket. Uh, so my first time in the US was actually not good to go to a Microsoft conference, but to go to an Apple conference and meet Apple engineers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I imagine, <laughs> yeah, we won't tell the people at Microsoft. This. <laughs> Why I find this so fascinating is because a lot of like, you know, advocacy and, and the audience that we have, it's all about kind of promoting new technology and new tools and creating the documentation for it and, and, and everything along with that. And kind of inadvertently, that was really kind of, uh, what you were doing as one of the early innovators, particularly in the French market with mobile applications and native mobile applications to, to come through that. And, uh, you know, the, it, it must have been it must have been a journey. And I, I and you can probably look back at it now fondly, but I, I can imagine there probably was some frustrations going through that we're uh, trying to debug this uh, with zero stack overflow uh, available to, to to help you through these through these rough times and, and nightmare of nights uh yeah i think the biggest issue um i got back then um was learning objective c um i've done a bit of c c c plus plus development um i started to do an uh, EUT for the French people, so it's a two-year um, um, computer science diploma, and we 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 do a lot of C C plus um, plus. But yeah, the syntax of Objective C compared to a lot of other other languages is uh, very hard to get. Uh, at least for me, it's um, it was really hard. And and yes, you were you were a bit alone, um, not really knowing how to do things technically. But also how to do things like in terms of UX, uh, in terms of um, user flow, etc. Because there were a lot of there is there were very few applications um, uh, back then, so you you cannot look up to other great applications. And say hey, oh I don't know this weather app, this like city mapper. Look at city mapper; it's a great experience. Let's try to do the same thing uh, for our. On business, um, you you didn't have like uh, big apps to to look at and to inspire. So it was also something difficult, not only on the technical part, but but on the uh, yeah on the UX part. Yeah, it's 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 a I can I can only just imagine what that experience uh, must have been like. But but why why do we move why do we move jump forward in time? for a little bit, because I'm curious to know more about your role at Microsoft, particularly because 
you know, a lot of developer advocacy roles are in these large co- companies, but it's a little bit of a black box as to because the the scope is so wide. So, I mean, how did you? Uh, what 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 first drew you to becoming a developer advocate at Microsoft? And what do you do? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that. <laughs> that's that's all good questions. Um, I, I would start by saying that I think. Uh, developer advocacy is um, is a bit of a trendy word uh, nowadays, and what it entails um, differ greatly from company to company. Uh, so, if I look at what how we're doing this at Microsoft, um, so we are a cloud advocacy team um, which is responsible for advocating on behalf and to the technical community um, at large. So there is two sides of things. And I think what dif- um, differentiates us uh, from um, uh, previous roles we had at Microsoft uh, um, years ago, we had what we call the technical evangelists. Uh, we were kind of the same role, but also kind of different. Um, is is we, we aim to have a two-side conversation uh, with our tech communities. Um, so we, we go on events mostly online now, uh, but we are going back to physical events, um, uh, which is great. And we are like providing information, providing new perspective on new products or new way of doing things. But we also listening to our technical communities, uh, their hurdles, their needs, etc. And with that, we are going back to our product teams, to our engineering teams, uh, to try to either fix the documentation or the learning. That's the uh, easy, easiest thing to do, or uh, fix the product, or even launch a new product. Um, and 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 if we talk about the organization uh, schema at Microsoft. Um, we are under, um, one of the most, uh, famous Microsoft engineers, Scott Guthrie, uh, which is a lead for, um, um, cloud engineering. So we are actually sitting in the same organization that we engineer that are building, uh, Microsoft cloud Azure. Uh, we are in the same org and we share the, uh, same OKR, um, at large. Um, we have some, uh, overarching uh, objectives um, that are shared by everybody in the team. Um, and if we um, dig a little bit, um, the developer advocacy team uh, is part of a bigger group, which is developer relations team, uh, which also um, has the uh, docs and learn um, teams. So docs is um, Microsoft documentation and learn is Microsoft learn, uh, which is an online platform uh, for learning things. Um, so it's kind of tutorials. We have an interactive sandbox, that kind of thing. So you can do a lot of things directly from, um, uh, from Microsoft. And how I ended up, uh, doing this, I think I, I, I was doing, a, um, kind of developer advocacy for uh, years, even before joining Microsoft, I started to, um, gave conferences uh, while I was still in um, uh, in my second year uh, at the university. Uh, the first book I published, um, I was um, finishing my third year 
um, at university. Hang on, hang on. Uh, the first book you published, you were in your third yeah. year at university. Yeah. Okay, that just makes me feel terrible. What, are, what <laughs> have you done with your time, Mackenzie? <laughs> I just turned 30. I got that. I got no books, zero books. I have a podcast, so we're, we're making better improvements. Get started. <laughs> podcast is a new book, huh? So <laughs> thank you, Chris. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So I was like explaining things to people, and 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 also, you need to, in my story, you need to put it sideways with the, my scuba diving story. Uh, because when I was 16, 17, I started to uh, being a teaching assistant uh, in my scuba diving school. And uh, when I was 19, I think, I started to be a scuba diving instructor. So it's also like sharing what, my knowledge and helping people uh, grow was something I was doing uh, both in computer science and in scuba diving uh since uh since a long time um and i also joined um eight years before joining microsoft i joined a, a program called the microsoft uh, most valuable professionals um it's uh, so we have like docker captains we have a lot of program like this in the industry which is basically uh people who are sharing their content who most of the time, uh, but not mandatory, have a high a technical expertise um, and um, join a program where basically they have access to uh, a bit of what's going inside. So with the Microsoft MVP program, we have direct access to the PMs uh, behind our products. Uh, we knew the feature before they were announced, most of them, not all of them, but uh, most or some of them. Uh, we were even invited to um, a roadmap review sessions where basically uh, the engineering team is showing you um, like each PM present for like five minutes uh, what they want to build um, in the next six to 12 months and you got to vote. Uh, and it inform how the product is made. Um, so I was also doing for, for years uh, this kind of back channel, going from the communities and, and bringing back this information I got from the communities to the product team saying, hey, um, you're, you're about to launch this feature, but it's terrible because uh, you require internet. And in this and this community, they don't have internet at that point um, in their development process. Uh, so you should uh, change something uh, in your plans. Um, so yeah, when so initially the cloud advocacy team uh, was created in the US, um, and then they opened up a position all around the world. Uh, and when I saw the announcement, I just applied, and um, here I am. Uh, that's uh, that's really cool, and you have like this experience about. Uh, growing well m building content and growing a community and this education teaching approach uh do you think today to be a developer advocate for a, a big corporate a gafam uh, uh, it's mandatory to have this uh, baggage i i am sometimes i feel there is two sides to it it's like um, some companies seems to hire only people who have a follow base for other, what matters is that education uh, experience, which is not necessarily linked to already having a community. And for some other, I feel like uh, there is such a, it's, it's so hard to hire developer advocate and there is such a high demand, I would say, for developer advocates that uh, those requirements are not there and 
only if you have technical strong technical experience you can uh, you can find a job what where do you think things stand and what made the difference for you oh, i will go back to my first thing which is maybe there is a lot of different type or archetype of developer advocates and even within the cloud advocacy team uh we have people uh who are well versed in the social media were um doing a lot of things online uh even on tiktok uh or instagram um and um addressing um the academic world for example um mm. so it's uh, yeah it's it's a way of uh touching an audience uh, with like the technical content is not so deep um but there is a way of uh pushing that content uh to a specific audience uh and there is also kind of people like me who are deeply technical um who have a high uh production experience um i've shipped applications to um dozens of millions of um mobile devices uh for example we we had a um dozen of million of downloads of Deezer um and an other application I've made um um had, uh, had also a huge uh, user base um and we were like for the Deezer application we were only two mobile developers so half of the success or half of this million download is <laughs> uh is for me um congrats <laughs> <laughs> thanks uh, it was uh a, a team sport but uh but it's uh it's, it was great to to see that with only two developers we can uh, compete with uh, biggest company with like uh, hundred of developers and, and still doing something. Um, so yeah, there is a, I think the spectrum of experience and requirements for developer advocates are uh, very very broad. And if we look at the technical spectrum, um, I think it really depends on the product or the community you're advocating for or on behalf um so for example if you're advocating for um we have some people who are advocating for uh, power apps which is a no-code platform um at microsoft um and being a developer being a yeah a developer advocate for, for this platform i don't think you uh really need a highly technical acumen uh, but but maybe the business uh background you may have uh it's more important uh because what's it's important in here it's uh, to go to the business people that could become what we call citizen developers and trying to show them um how they can solve their issue with uh with no code platforms um at the opposite side uh if you want to um i don't know advocate for uh, cloudflare uh, maybe uh, you will need to have like a, a very good uh, networking background because when you reach a an enterprise customer and you need to like an enterprise customer was their own peering point their own um asn maybe you need to uh, be able to talk about bgp routing and etc cetera, etc cetera, um to to talk to your audience or to understand the issue your audience is facing and and getting back uh this this, this feedback uh to the product team so yeah it's uh it's um i think there is a room I think one of the maybe one of the qualities of a lot of advocates should have is empathy is how you can understand your community your audience uh to a 
produce content, uh, but help them in a form that is um, accessible to them and B, to be able to listen to them and to gather that feedback. It's interesting, but uh, also I think uh, Mackenzie, you, you're in the field of innovation as well, and uh, at Ponica uh, we are trying to create something new too. So sometimes there is a, a sense of listening to people's needs, but also there is a sense of what people uh, needs are, but that they don't phrase out, that they don't understand yet because they don't know there is a solution, or they don't understand that they have a pain point here. Do you have you built that knowledge, that granularity? Is that your role, or you're purely onto, you know, building a bridge between users and and your tech team, and just you know solving issues that on the existing product? Like, where what's your level towards innovation, towards support? Where do you stand? So I, I, it's easier for us to sometimes it's easier for us to fix something um, instead of building something from the ground. Uh, we, when we are building things, uh, we are trying to um, um, solving a deep proper experience uh, problem with code. Uh, so, for example, uh, we had on several occasions. Um, with NV Cloud Advocacy Group, um, created some code in an open source way and then handed over to the product teams. Um, one of the example is uh, we have built, um, we have launched recently, like six months ago, um, Azure Static Web Apps, uh, which is a service to host uh, both a static web app, but also a serverless API behind it uh, very, very easily. Um, and one of the um, uh, struggles we had early on uh, in the project is we were not able to run this project locally. Uh, there were no like simulator or emulator uh, to be able to test all the features um, um, on your dev machine. Uh, so one of the uh, cloud advocates in, um, uh, actually based in France was him, uh, built that as an open source product and and within months uh because the community was so uh happy to have this tool and because we were really fixing a gap in the developer experience uh, we move over the responsibility of this emulator from the cloud advocacy team to the to the product team to the azure static web apps team um so it's a bit of innovation but it's also like just uh fixing a gap in the product um Building a new product from scratch um, could be a little bit more difficult. We can do experiments uh, to to test if there is a need for something and to, to try out ideas. Um, but it's more difficult because we don't have a counterpart uh, in a product team to to talk. Uh, so uh, you also need to think about the scale of uh, of Microsoft, which is way different uh, from a lot of companies. Um, let me just, uh, refresh the numbers, but under, uh, Scott Guthrie, uh, there is a lot of people, um, <laughs> just to give you a rough, um, a rough number. I'm not sure if I am allowed to, to share the exact number, but it's in the hundred thousand employee. Wow. This is the size of the engineering of Azure. So, wow. yeah, sometimes it's difficult to like find someone 
to talk. There is a lot of people, but who is the right person to uh, to talk? We have some service, uh, for example, a, a service for hosting Java applications. Uh, there is hundreds of developers behind it, and this one Azure service, and we got like hundreds of Azure services. Yeah, it's it's mind bending the scale of that of, of those companies. I mean, my first thought is to like, I hear a hundred thousand developers. I'm like, oh, I wonder what the monthly payroll is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> we, we won't we won't go into that conversation, you know. But when you're working for these large companies at this crazy scale that you're talking about, what? In, in your area, like, what's the most exciting thing about that? What, what's really kind of, you know, as an advocate, advocate, but also as an engineer or is just a member of that Microsoft team, what's, like, what's one of the most exciting elements of being part of an engine with that much power behind it? Um, I, I would say... Uh, two things. Um, the first one is we have really crazy, brilliant minds um, within Microsoft. Uh, it's um, it could be difficult to really work with them uh, because you need to align uh, priority and interest. Even if generally at Microsoft you can send an email to anybody and they will respond. Um, like it's part of the culture of the company. If you're not asking silly things or sending cat picture, obviously, but, um, and we have people working on, uh, on the top of our fields. Um, like, mm. um, uh, we have the creator of, uh, C sharp TypeScripts. Uh, I think it was Delphi before, uh, we, we have the creator of Python. Like we have so wow. many people, uh, working for Microsoft. Um, we're doing great things. The other thing is, um, I, I cannot, so I, I've never been intentional about my career. So basically I moved to a new company when I feel I reach like the maximum of what I can bring, uh, to, uh, to the team. But the fact is with company like Microsoft, I think I, I have worked for like a dozen lives. Um, just to give you a, a few discrete examples uh, to to try to understand the breadth of Microsoft, uh, which is very different. And, and if we talk about the, the GAFAM, I think it set us apart from, from the other ones. Um, first, um, I, I have the secret dream of being a scuba diver for Microsoft uh, because we we are experimenting putting data centers underwater. Um, wow. we've, we've done that already. We had uh, phase one and phase two of the project. And it's actually very interesting because it answers a lot of um, uh, actual issue with data centers, which is uh, A, uh, we need to grow the number of data centers B, uh, cooling and uh, electricity requirements for data center is high. And our data centers, as, um, underwater data center are very efficient in terms of cooling, uh, but also very efficient um, because we can um, assemble them with a, um, a, a water turbine uh, wave uh, um, mm -hmm. produce electricity. Um, it's near the coast, and I think like 60% of the worldwide population is living 200 kilometers 
from the coast. So we are uh, reducing the distance between data center and users. Um, and uh, if we talk about um, ecology, um, our latest research uh, proved that we can gain um, the results are not uh, sudden yet, but it seems we can gain years um, of um, several lifetime uh, because they are underwater and there is two aspects of this. Uh, first, the temperature is more constant, uh, so there is less hardware issue. Um, and B, uh, because we uh, host them in like a huge submarine construction uh, with, um, not with air, but with a special gas, uh, we reduce the oxidation of um, the hardware and we also gain lifetime uh, hardware lifetime um, based on that. And we, what we've done to to test this is we actually uh, deploy the same servers um, on Earth uh, and, um, and underwater for two years, and we compared uh, with microscope, microscopes uh, the difference between the servers. Just wow. one example. Um, I didn't talk to you about uh, all of the work we were doing on the quantum um, computing. Uh, computing world. I didn't talk to you about the fact that we have um, biological lab, which is uh, rated class two uh, by the CDC, uh, the US Center of Control Disease. So, so basically we can uh, study high viruses uh, within Microsoft. And we are doing this because we are doing some technologies to track um, um, uh, epidemies, um, uh, diseases uh, through mosquitoes. And instead of, so you're not going to do your uh, PCR test at the local pharmacy shop, uh, but uh, in region like in Africa, where there is a lot of mosquitoes, they are basically collecting this blood sample for us. And then we build a machine to capture the mosquitoes and to analyze the mosquitoes. Um, <laughs> I didn't wow. talk about how we, um, through um, a series of um, satellite ground stations and some uh, data uh, technology we had, uh, we help um, the International Space Station to do more analysis uh, without having to do a lot of data transfer. Uh, because data transfer is very costly for the ISS. Uh, they don't have uh, optic fiber. Um, and with, I think it's with a partnership with HPE, um, we are doing um, edge and cloud computing uh, data processing uh, in a way that basically uh, uh, we, we don't have to download all the data to do uh, the actual data processing. And I can go on and on and on on the um, kind of project uh, so we are doing like this. Does that mean this is it? You're never going to leave Microsoft? They, like, this is your cloud advocacy uh, life? I'll, so I don't know how long I will stay a cloud advocate. Um, for, now I'm, for now, I'm very happy, but uh, we'll see. Um, leaving Microsoft is not off the table. Um, I'm, I'm open, but I feel that there is so many things just to discover uh, within Microsoft. So, yeah. Uh, Obviously, life is uh, complicated and, and uh, full of surprises, exactly. So, so we don't know uh, what will happen either within Microsoft or outside um, um, proposal I can get. Okay. Uh, but yeah, Microsoft is, uh, I think it's a very special company um, um, due to the breadth of, of services and, and to the fact that you can 
quite easily find a place where you can really touch a number of users uh, or, or, or touching very interesting use cases uh, quite easily. Mm. I'm going to put a disclaimer here. My, my company is a Microsoft AI factory uh, incubator, so I'm, I'm all for it, but we are not paid by Microsoft <laughs> to produce this podcast. <laughs> uh, I see that time flies, so I'm going to push one of, uh, of my questions, Mackenzie, if you, if you let me. Um, I, I heard you told us about your um, advocacy team and uh, that you had uh, OKRs. And I'm kind of curious about that. I don't know how much you can uh, disclose, but I was curious about kind of the direction and the, the attitude of the OKRs and how you build them. Um, yeah, I, I really have no idea how a big corporate works uh, to make efficient developer advocacy and what's driving uh, your team. So can you tell a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I don't know how much I'm allowed to share, uh, but I can share a few things, um, uh, obviously. Um, so the first thing is uh, OKRs, um, so the OKR framework, um, I, I will not introduce uh, the OKR framework here. There is a lot of uh, articles that will do better than me, but basically the idea is um, instead of having um, just like personal objectives, um, you have some objectives are like aspirational goals. Uh, so it's not something you will solve within a year or within two years. It's something that probably will uh, stay for a bit more. And for each objective, uh, you have ways to measure your progress in this journey uh, called the key results. Uh, and the key results may have some numbers in it. Um, and they can also be... Um, um, adapted and, and rethinked uh, like every six months, if you want. Uh, and I think one of the um, uh, another important aspect of OKR is the idea um, for the OKRs is me as an individual contributor with like a manager, 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 and manager, 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 manager. I should still see in my key results um, how I'm contributing to the mission of the company uh, or to the mission of my team or et cetera. So um, OKRs is new at Microsoft. It's quite new at Microsoft. It's like two years old, um, I think. And it's also not um, deployed to the whole Microsoft. Uh, it's uh, specific to the Azure engineering teams. And we start seeing adoption uh, in other parts of the company as well. Um, our mission is to enable every organization and every person to achieve more. So that's the goal of the company. Um, and if we um, uh, get at our level, uh, our level is basically to, um, so it's not the exact formulation of the objectives because I'm not sure I, I'm allowed to share them, but basically it's um, allowing developers uh, to find the right information and to discover the right services and um, ensuring that um, our partners within the engineering teams are happy with uh, the feedback or the help uh, we provide. Um, and then we have some internal objectives like uh, um, your um, Microsoft is a, is a great place to work, that kind of thing. So um, we, we ensure that we are on track um, on this. Um, again, you need to have a 
um, an idea of the size of our team. Uh, we are um, about 100 cloud advocates um, within our organization and developer relations uh, is between uh, 500 and um, um, eight, 900 people. Um, and, and the cloud advocacy team, I think we are now in like 23 countries. Um, so for example, my manager is in Hawaii, uh, and my colleague is in Switzerland, in France. Um, and if we go, uh, level up, um, I have, um, um, colleagues in, uh, Australia, in Japan, etc. So, um, having, a having a, a common objective, uh, to ensure that we are working well in a fully distributed team is also something which is important to to achieve our other uh, our other goals. And the, but the and other the structure, team, sorry, the structure of your team you're not limited to France actually. Uh, your scope is much different than that. It's not geographically based. Is that right? Yeah, you're right. Um, so our scope is um, basically the world. Um, so there is, there is kind of two type of advocates, uh, there is, uh, technical cloud advocates like me, um, who are, uh, indeed working for, uh, the entire community in a, in a specific area, um, in the world. Uh, so obviously because I'm French, because I love France, I, I tend to do, uh, uh, some things in French, uh, a lot of conferences that are in France, etc. Uh, but we are not limited to uh, to France, and then we have um, a sister team um, who are actually working uh, um, in the Microsoft reactors, who are physical spaces. Um, so we have like a dozen of reactors uh, all around the world, um, and they are mostly targeting the startups and academic audience. Um, and these uh, colleagues are. A bit more attached to uh, uh, to a local ecosystem. Okay, we're, we're talking before the podcast on come on because we're all based in France. And for me, I think uh, one of the main draws that's going to keep me here is going to be the the bread, food, and wine. <laughs> the <laughs> cheese, the cheese, bread, and wine. I, I don't know if I can live anywhere else in the world without this now. <laughs> it's so true and yet so cliche. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes cliches are real. <laughs> Well, we're coming up to the end of the uh, of the of the show here, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay down my my last question uh, before before handing it over to uh, to Alex to, to to ask his final questions. But the the question I had before uh, was was what what was one of the greatest things about working for for Microsoft and this this large corporation with the horsepower behind it? And you gave a. Uh, an incredibly insightful and exciting response, but but now I'm going to flip this. I want to know what's what's one what of some of the most frustrating things coming from advocacy and startups, coming from these agile, really innovative things. Is there something you know that is frustrating with working for one of these gigantic uh, companies? Oh yeah. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, Don't worry, do, I, I'll, I'll try and not share this with anyone at Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's okay. I'm I'm very vocal with my colleagues um, um, about this, so uh, they can you can share it with them. Yeah, I had a. Um, it, it was hard to adjust uh, when I joined Microsoft originally, um, and again for for background when I was at Deezer because I, because it was a startup, 
and because I joined quite early, um, I would say it was a, I was part of the generation two of employees. Um, I was handling a lot of different topics. Uh, so I was responsible for internal part of the internal communication, uh, for um, emergency response, uh, for um, onboarding of new employees, uh, etc. So I was doing and fixing a lot of different things. Uh, like nothing was out of your reach, uh, and it's probably a feeling that a lot of people working in startups um, are are feeling like. Everything is every own responsibility because there is no like clear role, etc. So if you f if you see something which is broken, you will probably you can probably fix it. And when it, I arrive at Microsoft, like oh a, a printer is broken, how can I fix it or can I get a new cartridge and put it myself? Oh no 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 no, you need to follow this procedure to open a ticket, etc. But no, I just want paper, so let me. Uh, tell me where the paper is stored and I will uh, get, no, 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 you need to follow the procedure. No, no, you don't care about this, send an email and someone will fix it for you. And and three weeks later, it was not fixed. So can I fix it now? No, 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 it's not your responsibility. Someone else is taking care of this. Uh, I had a lot of these things, uh, which were uh, quite frustrating um, compared to uh, what I was able to achieve uh, in a startup environment. Uh, the other thing is um, finding um, finding other people uh, to work with you is uh, sometimes um, weird. I have this um, way of saying things. Um, Microsoft is is not a big like cruise ship. Um, is 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 a lot of small boats that can change directions very easily. Um, we uh, we had a lot of we have a lot of reorgs at Microsoft. So um, uh, changing in uh, in the organization, changing of on people responsibility, etc. It happens uh, depending on the team you are, but um, once a year or a few times a year. Uh, so we are we are able to shift um, a lot of people, uh, like hundreds of thousands of people, uh, within weeks um, if the business needs so. Uh, the Kinect, for example, um, was an, an example of, of, of it. They, they added like hundreds, uh, if not thousands of engineers uh, six months prior to launching the product to achieve something. Um, so imagine the power you can have as a manager uh, saying, hey, I need a thousand new uh, engineers tomorrow to work on this and you can get them. Uh, I think it's a, it's a dream for, uh, for a lot of companies. Um, but yeah, it was um, one of the stories. Um, I was working a lot with chatbots uh, when I joined Microsoft, uh, and it took me months to realize that I was not alone in the, in the French subsidiary. Uh, but there was no place, you know, to you cannot have Slack with uh, uh, three hundred thousand employees uh, in the same channel. So it's sometimes it's hard to find that other people are working on the same topic that you are and that you can collaborate is, is mostly by accident or because at some point in time, you become so visible that you will attract uh, yours or colleagues, uh, which is again, very different from startup environment where you basically know everybody or you're one step of uh, one colleague of knowing everybody. Do you miss Slack, Chris? <laughs> um, 
Uh, no. Oh, uh, <laughs> it's um, MetaMost in, in Microsoft, isn't it? I think. What Slack? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, Microsoft Teams is actually quite powerful. Uh, it, it could get messy as well. Um, but I feel uh, Slack is great when you are a small team. But uh, for example, at at, at uh, Deezer, we had Slack, um, and and. Uh, at a certain level, when you reach a certain number of employees, it, it starts to get complicated to manage channel, etc. And what I saw at, at Deezer, it's a lot of people were actually DMing or using private chats, private groups, uh, which is not the way you should use Slack, uh, in, my, in, in my opinion. You should uh, favor public, uh, discoverable uh, groups uh, instead of private ones where you need to be invited, etc. Um, and in, in that sense, Teams is more organized um, because you, you have a, um, a different hierarchy uh, compared to compared to Slack. And also the fact that you can embed applications like dashboards, etc., right within your, your chat, uh, which is also very, very powerful. But again, at this scale, um, Teams is, could also be messy. Uh, yeah. Okay, no, I, I, I was being cheeky. I was being cheeky. Uh, no, I, I, I think it's uh, it's about time to uh, to wrap it up. I, maybe one question, but uh, for a one word answer, if there was a uh, one thing, because you've done so much, you've been a teacher, scuba uh, instructor, scuba diving instructor, uh, 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 tech lead, software engineer, and now a developer advocate. What what's the one word that kind of uh, captured the essence of what you love doing in every work that you've done? In one word, I would say uh, passion. Uh, that, that seems uh, quite accurate, especially for our developer advocates. Uh, that's, a tough, okay. that's a tough question. Ah, no, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I like, I'm, I like I'm this. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I've been doing some, uh, some reading over the summer about how to <laughs> be a better interviewer, and I'm getting there. Uh, no, okay. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Chris. You were talking about going a little bit back into in-person uh, events, I believe, at the beginning of the podcast. I was wondering if people want to keep up with your work and uh, and follow you a little bit. Where can they find you online and where can they see you offline these days? Yeah, online, the best place is uh, Twitter, at um, Simanu. Um, I should change my blog, uh, but uh, it's a long story. I want to rebuild things, and then I want to create it from scratch, and then, oh, why I'm creating a blog engine from scratch, I'm crazy, and et cetera, et cetera. So I'm in the middle of uh, doing something with my website. So Twitter is the best place, and my DMs are open um, if you have any questions. Um, and for seeing me in person, um, there is only one thing on my agenda today, uh, uh, which is DevOps D-Day in Marseille, uh, mid-November, um, where I will share uh, how with one of my colleagues, uh, we created uh, a new product uh, at Microsoft and how and why we open source it. Uh, cool. So it's also an interesting story how we open source uh, code at Microsoft. Okay, that's really cool. Uh, do you think it will be uh, also available in replay uh, after the conference, or it's an exclusive? So I'm not sure, uh, but it's probably a conference we will do again. Um, okay, cool. So, yeah, probably cool. we, we will be able to see it online. Great, Mackenzie. How about you? You can find me uh, anywhere uh, online at uh, the handle Advocate Mac. 
Um, and uh, I've just started doing some webinars on Crowdcast. So you can follow me at uh, Crowdcast if you search for GeekGuardian or McKenzie. Then uh, once a month, we have some exciting uh, our webinars coming up too. So uh, be cool. Cool if you can check me out on there. Thank and you. Alex? I, I have a few questions for uh, for you about webinars. So maybe uh, you can be my guest to the DevRel podcast uh, soon. Um, uh, for myself, uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter, Manuel G, uh, but we also have the Ponycode Dev uh, uh, Twitter account where I'm always behind it because we're still a small team. So we're, we're, we're doing this kind of uh, 360 uh, community management. We're on LinkedIn as well. And uh, the DevRel pod podcast is always the best place to find me, of course. Thank you very much, guys, and thank you, everyone, for following us. And, uh, well, reach out if you have any comments, any feedback. Uh, you can reach out to Chris if you have more questions about his, uh, his experience. It's quite an incredible adventure. And I know now that uh, the day that we do What Have They Become episodes, we'll have a scuba diving, uh, uh, Chris uh, uh, giving us a bit about uh, his experience uh, with data center and uh, the water. 